I'm Holly Dutton, Senior Associate Editor at Commercial Property Executive and Multi-Housing News. In this podcast, I spoke with Peter Browse, Managing Principal at Lean Associates, about the New York City retail market. We went in-depth about the so-called retail apocalypse, the kinds of retail uses that are doing well right now, and the proposed city policies that could have an impact on the market. So it's 2019. Over the last few years, a lot's been said about retail and how old uses are dying out and, you know, retailers need to kind of get with it and adapt or, you know, they're going to fail. And a lot of people that I talked to have told me, you know, retail's not dying. It's just changing. Um, but there still is, you know, a lot of empty uh, storefronts in here in New York. So, you know, how, how do you feel looking ahead toward 2019? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think uh, we're in a in a in a interesting time for retail. Um, you know, there's a tremendous amount that's been written about the future of retail, and is it the retail apocalypse? You know, is it not? Um, you know, I think the answer is. I mean, in my mind, it's kind of yes to both. There, there certainly is a. I think the retail apocalypse is a real thing, but it's not the end of. It's it's the end of retail as we knew it. But it's not the end of retail, um, right. you know. And I think, I think retail is in the process of redefining itself as to what it is. You know, the gap certainly exemplifies something that's old, old line retail, and you know has not been able to adapt to effectively to you know the the current state of affairs, where you know cycles move much more quickly than you know than they than than their company and. You know they were kind of left behind, um, so that's why you see the flagship store on Fifth Avenue closing and hundreds of other Gap stores closing. You know, right. obviously, you know, obviously the the poster children for what is now bad retail, you know, are in the dumpster. Sears, you know, that company was completely destroyed, and you know, which is unfortunate. But right. you know, a lot of these a lot of these companies just could not change with the time. So there's there's you know. There's that, and then you have rents, which really got way ahead of themselves in many cases. But I think you know what's important to 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 note, and what we're seeing on the you know on the ground when we when we're you know walking around every day and doing deals every day is that rents have come down dramatically, and are continuing to come down dramatically. So you know a lot of the retail vacancies that that you see in my opinion, especially in the good locations, you know, are not going to be vacant in a few months or a year. And a lot of that just has to do with the, the cyclicality of rents and, and how landlords sort of got used to getting certain rents and how it took, you know, a little a little time for people to understand what the new normal looks like. So, I, you know, I think you're already seeing in some in some areas a lot of that vacancy is you know is being absorbed um and in other areas it's, it's going to take a long time you know broadway and soho is a very uh, you know one of your questions about soho mm-hmm. you know we're, we're very active down there um broadway and soho is difficult you know the north face deal that was just done was reported at 200 dollars a square foot on broadway for a long-term deal i mean that's a you know that's not my number that was i, I don't know if that was in the real deal or the commercial observer but you know that was the reported number, and that is, uh, you know, that's a fraction of what rents, but a third, really, or less of what you would have expected to get three years ago. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
when when you know when you look ahead, I think some of the some of the problem will be addressed by falling rents, and then you have a redefinition of what people are putting in stores. You know, a lot of stores are now much more like for a store to be successful. I think there has to be you know an experiential component to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're working with a you know with a high uh, you know I, I think this term didn't even exist a few years ago a high end tattoo parlor right I mean interesting I didn't think there were high end tattoo parlors <laughs> ten years ago you yeah. know it was sort of associated with a different you know demographic but now it's you know now of course you know every Hollywood star has a tattoo so you know I think I think experiential retail is is key you have you have people doing indoor trampolines and indoor shuffleboard and rock climbing and golf and all these things that now, you know, are defined as, as retail. Right. What do you think about the vacancy tax that, that's been proposed uh, by Mayor de Blasio's administration? Might be the singular, the single worst idea I've, I've heard. There is, I, you know, I was listening to Blasio happened to be on um, WNYC this morning, mm-hmm. uh, done every week. And he was talking about this vacancy tax. And unfortunately, I couldn't call in. But if I could speak to him, I would first ask him to point out even one example, just one, of a landlord who has kept a store vacant for an extended period of time and not wanted to lease it and get money. Because I myself, having done this for over 20 years, could not point to an example outside of an instance where a landlord is preparing to demolish a building you know, and, and, and build a new, you know, a new project on the site, or if a landlord has vacated a store in the, you know, to, to uh, adjoin it to another store to make a bigger store to, you know, rent it to a tenant. This simply does not happen. Landlords do not simply vacate stores and leave them sitting vacant. They don't. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean that there are not vacant stores for extended periods of time? No, of course not. You know, but there there happens to be other, you know, reasons for that, as we were just talking about. You know, landlords can lower their rent. However, in other cases, rent is not even necessarily the issue. Uh, you have, again, going back to Broadway as an example, rents on Broadway have gone way down, and there just aren't a huge amount of tenants for those big spaces. So are you then going to sort of, add insult to injury and, and penalize these landlords for having vacant spaces. I mean, that to me seems crazy. Mm-hmm. It, it just seems insane. And, and P.S., it's not going to solve any problems. Mm-hmm. If you if you turn around and fine landlords because they have vacant stores, does that is that going to in some way help them find a tenant? Yeah, it I mean, sounds like that's not going to get a, a lot of support in the city council. I mean, I'm not sure how um, far along it is in the process, but I'm sure... Yeah, it sounds like, you know, industry groups are going to fight this, too. Well, it just, you know, I mean, I'm all for I'm all for the city trying to help out and work with, you know, the private sector and try to help, you know, find real solutions. But, right. you know, when you talk about, you know, something like that or something, you know, like commercial rent control, which is, you know, sort of been proposed, except mm-hmm. by another name. You know, neither of those things are going to are going to fix the problem. You know, what you need to do is make it easier for, you know, you you need to make it easier for businesses to succeed. And I think the city has to do more of that. And I I also think, 
you know, you do need to, you know, you need to, to be able to take red tape out of the way of, of both landlords and tenants trying to rent stores. For example, you know, there would be many fewer vacancies in New York City, but for the law about, there's a, there's a classification that, that uh, fitness, physical culture establishments, called PCE, physical culture establishments. So if you want to open a gym, whether it's something like, you know, as big as a, a Blink Fitness or an Equinox or something as small as a yoga studio, but it has showers, it has to be classified under a PCE. And that entails a change of use to the CFO, and you have to go to the city and, and go to the BSA and get, you know, get, get a, a variance, basically, to be able to do it. Now, that makes no sense at all. That's a vestige of the 1980s when they were closing down bathhouses because of the HIV epidemic. It has, it has zero validity now because there are not bathhouses mm. anymore. Right. They don't exist. What there are are lots and lots of people who want to be able to do all these different kinds of workouts that didn't exist, you know, just a couple of years ago. Right. You know, people doing all kinds of stuff that, you know, whatever they want to do. And there is this huge demand for entrepreneurs who want to open these places. And once they go out looking, they, they quickly find out that if they want to put showers in their establishment, they have to go through this process, which can cost fifty or $100,000 and take months. And they have to hire attorneys, and, and, and it's, it's really a mess. So if you want to incentivize people to open places, don't penalize the people who have the empty spaces. Make it easier to open more stores. I mean, that to me seems mm-hmm. like common sense. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I didn't know about that with, uh, with gyms. Is that something that people have tried to kind of bring up? And It does. You know, it's one of those things that sort of kicks around in mm-hmm. in city government and it's on you know it's right. on people's radars i've spoken with people in government it's on their radar screen but it's it's not anything that anyone is really spearheading and i think it'd be mm-hmm. like if Corey johnson took it up and said hey you know this has been brought to my attention that it's a real problem and we could have lots of new stores opening but for this antiquated law you know i think it would probably get traction i'm not i'm not really to be honest with you i'm not really sure like other than the attorneys and the expediters and the people who, you know, profit from it, I'm not really sure who would defend it. Right. You know, there, it's it's sort of one of these things that no one really likes. You know, but uh, but it's there, and it really it honestly prevents a lot of people from opening stores. Another example of this is scaffolding. Mm-hmm. You know, the scaffolding laws in New York are are crazy, and they're such that. You know, the fines for, for, for not having the scaffolding are tremendous, and the scaffolding is... Ca- we all, I mean, you know. Do you live in New York City? Yeah, I do. So you know. You walk around New York City, there's yeah. scaffolding everywhere. That's true. And, and half the time you're walking under a sidewalk bridge, there's no work going on upstairs. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and these some of these things can be up for years, and these kill retailers. Yeah, I think about that a lot, right? They have to, like, put a sign up, like, kind of on the scaffolding, you know, hoping that people still see that it's there. Right, and the sign. And by the way, the signage itself is heavily regulated, so you can't right, right. do like creative signage. You can't like really mm. alert people in a in a good way to your store. It has to be like this sort of bland signage that kind of. I've kills heard that people. too. Yeah. So uh, again, these are not these are not difficult fixes. These are easy fixes, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and none of them entail penalizing people for doing things that 
generally speaking, are not their fault. Community board, I was on CB1 for 10 years and I chaired one of the committees on CB1, so I'm pretty well versed in community boards. And, and look, you know, community boards can, can themselves be um, real deterrents. You know, if you're in a, if you're, there, there are certain areas that are just no-fly zones and everyone knows it. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's um, another reason why Soho, you know, when, when you say Soho is, you know, is, is glum, you know, well, one reason Soho's glum is because you go there at eight at night and the place is dead. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be very, it used to be very vibrant in Soho at night. Um, you know, you look at other sections of, and, and when, you know, when, when you're talking about Soho, I assume, you, you know, you mean like the heart of Soho. But if you look at other parts of the, that, even that same area, if you look at the western part of the neighborhood where there are restaurants, right, when you get west of West right. Broadway. And when you get east of um, uh, when you get east of Broadway, and especially Lafayette, you know it's much more vibrant. Um, so, I think you know I, I think the the ease of, or the, the difficulty rather of um, of complying with some of these things that the city puts upon you does make it much more challenging. Yeah, curious to hear what you'd think about the whole L train shutdown turnaround. This could have ramifications on a lot of levels, but you know, the first one of the first things I thought about was retail. Sure. So, and your company is pretty active there, right? Yeah, we're very active. Yeah, I, I I thought so. So, what did you think when you when you heard this? Um, I was kind of, I mean, like everyone else, I was pretty blown away. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think for us, it's just the, you know, however it shakes out, and and I think it will. I don't think that once Cuomo, you know, makes an announcement like that, I don't think there's any way to really put that genie back in the bottle. Right. Uh, you know, so I think it will happen. It's, you know, whether it happens along that time time frame or maybe it takes a little longer, but the fact that it's not going to close entirely is, is huge. I mean, you can't right. overstate the importance of it in terms of um, market confidence and, you know, people, I, I think, changing their outlook on... on not just Williamsburg, but Bushwick and mm -hmm. all the areas along that along the L train. You know, we, I was out there, in fact, yesterday with meeting with a <clears throat> meeting with an owner, and you know, I mean, that conversation a week before would have been completely different. Right. Uh, you know, I think there was a lot of bloom and doom as as the zero hour was approaching, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, the feeling now is, hey, you know, we got a reprieve here, and hopefully. You know, hopefully the, the, the all the good stuff, because, you know, there's been, we've done about 35, 35 retail deals out there or more, you know, and many of them are, I think, you know, really significant deals, Apple and Vans and Everlane and a bunch of these, you know, very big name tenants. You know, I, I, I think those, that's now that, hopefully that will regain that momentum and be able to, uh, to continue to, you know, bring more retail to that neighborhood. Right. Yeah. So in general, what are you seeing that's doing really well right now in terms of uses? I know health and wellness has done really well, I think, everywhere, nationally, too, uh, mm -hmm. recently. But um, what have you been seeing personally? Yeah, you know, uh, certain 
there, there are definitely, well, you know, as we were talking about before, like the, the kind of um, sports and lifestyle tenants, mm-hmm. I think, are, you know, you're seeing them do, do quite well, you know, whether it's ping pong or, you know, trampolines or, or whatever. Those, those tenants seem to be, you know, people want, I, I think they say, you know, people want experiences more than they want things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, at the same time, you know, I, I, I do think that some of, you know, some of the retailers seem to be doing pretty well. You know, I, I think the sneaker guys are, are doing, they seem to be doing quite well. Uh, you know, if you go into, you know, the new Nike store in Fifth Avenue, it's pretty fabulous. The, uh, you know, the Adidas store in Soho, um, you know, Puma is, is, uh, is doing great. I, I think, you know, sneakers are, are a real bright spot in the retail uh, market and and you know because sneakers are sort of uh, have become this this very very hot category where you have some you know the styles are, are basically infinite because people take you know they take the shoes and then they customize them and and then they you know can sell them for a tremendous amount of money in the case of like flight club or someone like that mm-hmm. um, you know I think that that is a category that really has not and and you know you it's it's I think it's difficult to, for online to, to take the place of, of that experience because people want to go in and try on like 20 different kinds of shoes. Right. And yes, you can order 20 different kinds of shoes to your home and then return the ones you don't want, but that is a little cumbersome to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, I think they are not so expensive in general unless you're buying like $1,000 shoes that, you know, they're not so expensive that, you know, that they're not an impulse purchase. So, you know, they kind of fit with with what retail you know feels like today it's uh and the stores themselves can be very exciting right because they're you know they're tied in with sports figures and celebrities and and all that kind of stuff right right you know i i like i like that category an Mm -hmm. awful lot um and i think you know there's there's uh other you know other categories like intimate apparel seems to be doing well people like you know there's a lot of you know uh, boutique players in that. Mm-hmm. Um, seen that in 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 Tesami, I think it's called in Soho. It's like an Italian brand. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, eyewear, Warby Parker, and and you know some other eyewear retailers doing very well. I think that you know the soft goods are probably the toughest because um, the you know um, Zara and um, Uniqlo. Until you know recently, I guess H and M. You know, although H and M is a huge player still, but it seems like they've had a little difficulty lately. Um, but those guys, their turnaround is so quick, and their prices are so low that I think you know at the uh, you know the middle. That's that's why the you know the gap in those kind of stores have really suffered because they're in, they're they're kind of tweeners, right? They're not mm-hmm. as full as, as those other guys, and they're also you know not a high end product like you know, the really hot brands like a Balenciaga or, or someone like that. Um, and I think those high-end brands are, are going to suffer because China, um, you know, China is just an outside, has been an outsized source of demand for all the high-end brands, all the luxury brands. And, you know, by all accounts, China's economy is, you know, is slowing and, you know, with the, with the, trade war that's going on it's it's certainly going to impact that right right 
Okay. So, you know, this year, do you have any specific goals or, or game plan that maybe is different from previous years, or is it the same general um, strategy? Um, for the company? Yes. Um, so, you know, just in the last, I'd say in the last like six months, we've, I would say we've grown our brokerage by about uh, a third in size, or if not more. I mean, we've gone from, I guess we've gone from about 50 brokers at, you know, say around June of last year to about 85 now. Okay. Um, so we've been growing at a pretty rapid pace. We've mm-hmm. gotten into areas that we hadn't been in previously. We started an investment sales department, and that's doing quite well. We have about 10 people in that. And so we're, we are getting into lots of new areas. And I think in 2019, my, you know, my goal is to basically continue to, to, you know, expand those departments, whether it's retail and office and investment, investment sales, but also to kind of get those, all of those groups performing to the level that we want, that we want to see them at. I mean, now, you know, we've got a lot of very experienced people who, you know, who we brought in who have great reputations in the business and have done, you know, lots and lots of deals over the years. So we, you know, when you grow at such a rapid pace, you want everyone to, you know, people are still kind of getting to know each other, a lot of the new people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what we see is they're, they're, you know, in our case, we have a culture that's very collaborative. So everyone, you know, is encouraged to, to work with each other. And as they get to know each other and get to understand, everyone gets to understand everyone else's skill sets. I think that, you know, in 2019, we'll see a lot of, a, a lot more collaboration at our company and a lot more, you know, assignments coming in that we otherwise would not, you know, that we wouldn't have gotten in the past because of that, because of the, you know, uh, large talent pool that we now have. Well, um, thanks so much for speaking with me today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my and, pleasure. And um, have a good weekend. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. Bye. Right, bye.